Have you ever wondered how successful architecture, engineering, and construction companies scale their business? Or have you ever wanted guidance on how to get more growth, wealth, and freedom from your AEC company? Well, then you are in luck. Hi, I'm Will Forat. And I'm Justin Nagel, and we're your podcast hosts. We interview successful AEC business leaders to learn how they use people, process, and technology to scale their businesses. So sit back and get ready to learn from the industry's best. This is Building Scale. Hey listeners, it's Will here. Our mission is to help the AEC industry protect itself by making technology easy. If you've ever listened to our show, then you know that the three pillars of scaling a business are people, process, and technology. So if you suspect technology is your weak link, then book a call with us to see where we can help maximize your company's IT and cybersecurity strategy. Just go to buildingscale.net slash help. Today's guest is Jane Smith. Jane is the founder of Spacesmith, which is an architecture planning and interior design firm based in New York. The firm is a state-certified women-owned business enterprise, and diversity and inclusion are critical parts of Spacemith's core values, which we'll dive into today. They have been part of some of the massive projects, including multiple United States embassy and consulate buildings, NYU and Columbia University designs, several headquarters of some iconic companies, and retail stores for many luxury retail brands. Spacemith has been included in Interior Design's Best in Design 2022 edition for their work on the Abrams Books Office project. In 2017, Jane was elevated to the College of Fellows of the American Institute of Architects, an honor earned by members who have made significant contributions to architecture. She is the recipient of several industrial awards, including the AIA's New York State President's Award for demonstrating lasting influence and raising the standards of performance within the profession. For 12 years, she was the chair for the Built Environments Program at the School of Visual Arts, where she introduced new courses in critical thinking, sustainability, and business leadership, she serves on the board of directors for the Olana Partnership and is a member of the industry advisory group for the U.S. Department of State's Bureau and Overseas Building Operations. That is a that's a lot to say in one sentence. But lastly, which I personally love the best, it got me wearing my Arizona State shirt today. She went to the greatest school in the country, Arizona State. So go Sun Devils. And with all that said, uh, thank you for being on the show, Jane. Oh, thank you so much, Justin. It's great to be here today. Thanks, Will. Welcome to the show. Love having you on. All right. So I gave a lot of awesome stuff because uh, you're just awesome. Uh, that's just generally what, what I found as I was going through everything. I'm like, man, she's done it all. She's literally done everything. So tell us about your origin story. Tell us how you got started uh, and then tell us about Spaceman. Oh, you know, it's hard to encapsulate all of that, but it all started, I grew up in Wyoming, went to college um, off to Sun Country to Arizona, to Arizona State, which we've talked about that, great. And uh, I didn't go because of architecture at first, I went because of the sun and the fun times, but <laughs> but I discovered architecture while I was there. And it brought out some uh, roots of uh, working with my, my construction grandfather and my father around the house and building forts as a kid and, and it became a passion and but I still didn't, didn't expect to have my own architecture firm uh, I really was learning a lot 
and and enjoying it and having a fun time in college. And then it was all over and it was time to do something else. And uh, a friend was moving to New York City and said, come with me. And I said, well, I'll come for the summer and then figure out how to get a real job. And I came to New York and fell in love with it. And then I did get a real job, but that was in New York City. Awesome. What was that real job? Well, the first real job was with, uh, believe it or not, as an architect with Prudential Insurance Company. <laughs> I was um, not what I expected at all. And it was in Newark, New Jersey, when I lived in Manhattan, and I was reverse commuting to Newark. And it was an awesome job. It was uh, working in their facilities group that were building new uh, regional headquarters around the country. And I had an incredible mentor in a woman, Lois Dixon, who really uh, taught me so much and gave me a lot of visibility to some of the top architecture and design firms that uh, Prudential was hiring for these projects. And, and I really kind of moved right into leadership as opposed to starting at the drafting table like most of my colleagues were doing. So it was great. And I stayed there for two, three years and then started working on an MBA while I was there. So that kind of added to my uh, to my work experience, realizing that there was more to architecture than just design. There was really, you know, that was the tip of the iceberg. There was so much in terms of the deal and putting together, uh, finding the property and the financing and so many other parts. So I was interested in learning more. How does you going off on your own to do the architecture thing, how does that happen? So you're, you're at this big company, you're doing the thing, you're in the leadership, you're not doing the drafting, so you're already kind of head start, you're doing your MBA, you got all this stuff going on. So when was it? It's time to go off on my own. I'm going to build an architecture firm. Well, that still took a little bit longer. I, I went from Prudential, I, I found my way back to Manhattan, and I worked for a big architecture firm, HOK. All right. um, it's now known as HOK. It was Hel- Helma Thabata and Kasabam. And and I worked there, finished the MBA, and started working as a project manager. And it was great. And I thought, well, now I'm becoming a real architect. But then a colleague from, Mo- from uh, Prudential had moved on to mobile oil. And he said, Jane, come here. You can um, travel the world first class and double your salary and work on projects now from regional headquarters to to corporate headquarters in different countries for mobile oil. And so I said, yes. And I did that. (laughs) Who wouldn't, right? Right, right. (laughs) That's the right answer. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so I did that for about seven years. And then There was an entrepreneurial edge in my spirit, I think. And after being with three really major, wonderful companies and gathering a lot of experience, not necessarily experience that was going to help me start my own firm, but c'est la vie, I decided that it was time for me to look at taking another path. And so I left mobile. They became my first... um, my first client, actually, they hired me back as a as a consultant. But that is when I actually started in it started my own firm. Uh, found some partners that I had, that I'd known by then in the industry, and we started our own firm. So that That's was awesome. the beginning. Yeah. 
So we frequently talk about uh, scalability, obviously building scale. We think that there's three pillars, people, process, and technology. That's the trick to scaling any company, specifically in the AEC industry. We find it happen over and over again. Of those three, people, process, and technology, what, how do you rank them? What's most important uh, of the three? Well, I always rank people most important. And I think people have been my success. And, and, um, and, and that really is my passion is working with the people that are, that are part of the firm, our firm, the clients. Uh, we've always, um, at SpaceSmith, we pride ourselves in doing great design for people who are really making a difference in the world. Uh, we like to work with mission-based companies that really, again, are out there doing good, good deeds and good works and need to be in spaces that are inspiring. But in terms of my own firm and my own team, partners and, and people from every level of leadership, that's what matters is putting together a group who obviously are talented and knowledgeable, but also uh, collegiate and collaborative and share values. So people is at the top for me. Yeah. Um, process is extremely important. You have to have a process. We, we, um, buildings get built, spaces get designed by going through a process and bringing people in and, 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 and moving the ideas from initial planning into initial ideas of design concepts, getting deeper and deeper into construction documents and eventually construction administration. And so you, you need to have those processes. And also at the same time, it's a, it's a company and it needs the finances and it needs the rainmaking and all of these things. And then, and technology supports all of that. And so it really is a three-legged stool. Um, we need it all and in this world today, uh, it would be a shame to not take advantage, although it's hard for me individually to keep up with all the, the changes in the technology. You know, it's uh, others can help me do that and help us be, be more efficient and stronger through technology. Well, it's the beauty of having the right people in the right seats, right? Yeah, they can help exactly. you and uh, the other parts. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yep. So, okay, over the history of the firm, you've gone from being one person, entrepreneur, started it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, wanted to go off on their own to now over 30 people, over 30 people, powerhouse. Take us through the ups and downs of adding people to your vision. Well, the, the ups are when you get really excited and you get new clients and you need more people and the money seems to be coming in and the clients are happy and, and, uh, and, and the downs, uh, then come when there are recessions and 9-11 and shifts in marketplaces and a, a strong client for whatever reason goes another direction. And and then you need to recenter yourself and understand how to how to make that happen. And I think that we've been very good at at, at trying to stay at ahead at, at reading markets. We have a very diverse for, portfolio. For a small, and in New York, in some places, a 30-person firm is a, a, a big firm. In New York, <laughs> it's not a big firm, but it's a good-sized firm. And, it, and in order to support 30 people, 
we need to be able to shift with the marketplaces. And over the years, we've seen workplace be a stronger market. And then, and you know, we, we lived through, we were there at the beginning of the dot-com craze. And we did lots of dot-com spaces. And then when dot-com crashed, we thought those dot-com spaces for, for other kinds of, of um, clients. And we are there to upsize. We're there to downsize. We're there to shift from, uh, you know, workplace to now we do a lot of high-end retail we we do the as you mentioned justin we're on several embassy u.s embassy teams we're doing work around the the world and we also have a, a, a terrific gsa contract working on border patrol stations and and other kinds of projects so and universities so you really even though it's a 30-person a firm it moves with it moves with the world, it moves with the economy and it and it shifts. And so those are those are some of the those are the some of the tough times. And when things get tighter, you know, our clients are slower to pay. We we have to manage cash better. We have to manage staff and make sure that that we keep people busy during the slower times. But also during the more intense times, not to overhire because we have people who've been with us for ten plus years, and 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 we like that, and we hope that we always like to keep good people uh, for as long as they want to be with us. And if they decide they want to do something else for their career, sometimes they come back. You know, so you have to you have to play a long game. You talked about partnerships a little bit. You've had different partners through this journey. You also talked about pre-interview process. They also had gone separate ways. Can you talk a little bit about that and maybe transition that into what leadership succession planning looks now? Sure. Okay. You know, building a company is sometimes you 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 think about the, the company and depends on what the size of the company is. But but people shift and change at all levels of a company at certain times. And so I started with two people that I respect, continue to respect, continue to think of as college colleagues. But then as we started, kept working together, we decided we had different visions. And so we decided amicably to, to, to take what we built and split it and go in different ways. And, Something similar to that has happened a few different times and people have come in and and then they've decided to do something else. And uh, so I think that there's a fluidity. And as and as as you continue to think of it with respect and with transparency, then you can go through all of those different transitions happily and and everybody uh, learns something and, and gains something. And it's like our clients, right? We work with a client and we build some awesome space and then we might not have another project with them. We might've been just like this, you know, for three years or something. And then we might, but then they might come back around. So, so I, I really know that there's that ebb and flow and, and shift and change. But um, now I'm thinking of Spacesmith, which has been a company that's been, you know the the idea of it started over 30 years ago and 
It's been Space Smith for over 20 years. And now my partners and I are uh, Michelle Frank and Mark Gordon, who are fantastic. We're all saying, okay, we think this is worth sticking around. And the other people that have been with us for a long time think it's worth keeping this, this company going forward. And so we are really working to create a, a sustainable company that can continue and to create a succession plan for the next generation and to have transparency, not only on how to run projects and how to find new projects to be rainmakers, how to manage the financial aspects, the good, bad, and the ugly, you know, um, we like to think everybody, everything's rosy, but it isn't always necessarily. And so to teach people how to deal with those situations and, and to find a mechanism for transitioning the next group into senior leadership and eventually into ownership. That's, that's very telling. Not, not all leaders, certainly not every entrepreneur thinks of not just, hey, today, and maybe even three or five years, but 10, 20 years, 50 years, 100 years of, you know, of, of a company. And it seems like sustainability kind of runs throughout your company in all kinds of different ways. Obviously, mm -hmm. the as in we think of the environment and things like that, sure. but also just the internal health of the, the mm -hmm. firm, right? It's like, mm -hmm. how, how do we sustain, you know, we've gone through how many recessions, we've gone through all of different partnerships, and we've done all these things, and yet we still sustain sustain and we still are, are growing and, and being that thing where where did that feeling or philosophy come from where, where does that like energy uh stem from jane i think maybe it just comes frankly at the beginning from my wyoming roots and yeah from, from a solid sense my father was a attorney he built a law law practice with great partners he became a very highly respected lawyer he was part of his community and i watched really how he took care of people and and built a company and and i i loved that i really loved it and so it's and i think from the beginning i care very much about the clients and i care very much about the the projects but i i really mostly care about the firm and <laughs> and and the firm are the people in the firm and so if if I can take care of the people, they can take care of the clients and the projects. And I've always felt that way. And I, I want to, to pass that on and have the people that are the type of people in the organization that feel that way, too. It's very heartfelt. It's very, very powerful. You know, a little, little chalked up on the voice there. That is really powerful. That is a... You can tell that uh, your people mean uh, a lot to you. It's it's very very evident that that's not that's not the dog and pony show. It, it is this is just authenticity, and I, I love that. So kudos to you and the thing you've been able to build. Thank you, thank you. Well, again, it's not me building it; it's it's a team <laughs> building it. But I'm I'm glad to be along for the ride. <laughs> so that, that's the perfect answer to that. So thank you. So uh, you you'd mentioned a mentor, uh, uh, Lois Dixon. Mm -hmm. Is that you? Is that the long term mentor? Have have you had other mentors in time? We find that 
mentors are huge. They can they can help an individual grow, and obviously then a business grow through that individual, and then teams to grow on top of that. Is was Lois influential after the beginning there, or did you have other mentors? What did that look like? Oh, she you know she's still in my life. She's a she she switched career. She's a a, a fabulous painter, and she All right. and she's. I hope she doesn't mind me saying this, but she's 93 years old and having art shows and doing incredible things. And, and so she's always, she continues to be a mentor and a, and a dear friend to me. I have had many mentors, uh, both men and women. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that, that I have. Uh, and I think that I learned that from my father and, and growing up, I, I feel very lucky in the sense, look, I know, you know, I'm a I'm a woman in business. I started my architecture firm in the, in the 80s in a time that there weren't that many of us. And I don't want to paint a, a a rosy picture. I mean, there it, it it was tough sometimes to be heard and acknowledged. And and some of the people that got me through it were those mentors, and some of them were men that said, "Jane, you you know." you're better than this. You, you don't have to take this. You can, you know, you know, have confidence in yourself. And also what's one better than mentor is an advocate and Mm -hmm. people that not necessarily just are there to pat you on the shoulder and talk to you when you're down, but people that will, uh, when you're not around, say, you know, this is the person for you. This is this is the firm for you. This is the and so to support you behind your back in a sense and to help to help you. And I've I've had many of those that I haven't even known about until later, you know. So I really value those relationship, that relationship building. And I can't even begin to to say all of the people from many different places and walks of life that have that have helped me to find the ability to persevere some through some really tough times and you know building my firm I mean I went from this fancy high roller job like succession (laughs) (laughs) I just I just last watched the last one last night (laughs) there we go but to you know to to walking up three flights of stairs to my rent stabilized apartment and staring at the walls and thinking that maybe I could make a business happen. And, you know, God only knows why I thought that. I don't quite remember how, but, uh, (laughs) but I did. And so I have a lot of people to thank for that. Yeah. And, and I'd like to pass that on again. I'd like it not to be quite so hard for the next generation of women and minorities of all types and minorities are also, you know, guys that look like they're not a minority, but you know, nobody knows what someone's history is. So, no, so that's, that's very true. You had mentioned something and I really liked it. It was mentor versus advocate. And you don't always know or find out until later. So, you found out later that some of the people you had talked to actually were advocates. Mm-hmm. How would you, why do you think? Those people advocated for you. Have you ever asked them? In some cases, when I've known, but I think, and this this is the thing also about our business. It's a our business is a people business, and 
we are being entrusted with millions of, of dollars of people's money. In some cases, we're being entrusted with their jobs because if they fail, then they'll either lose their job or won't, they won't be respected or their spouses will leave them because the house is, you know, who knows, all these different things. And so there has to be a very high level of trust. And you also want to do this kind of work with people you like, actually, too. And so I think that I would guess, and when I advocate for people, it's because I like something about them that makes me trust them and feel that they're the right people for a job and they might not be someone that would become my best friend and you know but I believe that they have the right combination of things to make uh to be the right choice and so I'm willing to step up and recommend not everybody is willing to recommend because what they're doing is they're sticking their neck out right? So you have to really appreciate people that are willing to do that. Yeah, to have advocates, as you say, uh, it speaks to your work ethic and character, right? I mean, they're, they're as you said, they're putting their neck out there for you. So they're not going to just do that for anybody. You got to yeah. gotta show them the trust. And uh, mm-hmm. that's, it's really, really powerful. Mm-hmm. If you were to give to our listeners one way, maybe they won't know it right away, that they can essentially create an advocate, obviously through trust. Can you give examples of how you've done that in your your work, your lifetime, to so that anyone else that's listening, they don't have to fail through to figure that out. Yeah. Well, I think that you have to be number one, be very honest with people and show them who you are. I, I think people are very timid because you know, if people don't pick me because I'm not the right firm for them or the right person or the right, then that's okay. If they know, if if I've shown them what we can do, but if they don't know, if I haven't been open and, and if I hadn't put my best foot forward and then they don't pick me, well, then that's my fault. And So I think that you have to build relationships and build them honestly. And out of that, it's kind of like the rest happens. Feel the dreams. If you build it, they will come. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about your mentors. Do you, what about the the rest of the people in the firm? Do they have mentors? They have internal mentors. Is it a thing that the firm is adamant about? Hey, like, you know, find somebody that's going to, be there for you, help you grow, find, you know, put in the work to get advocates, do these things. Is that a thing that the firm does? Yeah, we talk, we don't totally talk about it. And I think that some of these things you can talk about and some people will get it and some people won't. <laughs> and, and I, I, I hope that the, the majority of the, the people in, in, in space Smith and, and, you know, as a teacher, the people that I've, I've taught too. Yep. I mean, I really pushed that in, in school. I talked, professional practice to my seniors and I talked on a a lot about 
uh, finding men mentors and advocates and being a mentor and being an advocate because by doing that, those sometimes turn around and you never know a person that that uh, worked for you becomes your boss, you know, and, and you just never know. So we've got some really powerful people in the firm that really do understand and do believe this. And I love it when I'm out and about in my network and someone says, oh, you know, I met your partner, Michelle, and he's really fantastic. And he's this and that. Or I met Amber and I met this one. And, you know, and you can tell in their voices that if they had the opportunity to recommend those people in my firm, they would. And and that makes me very happy. Well, you're creating, that's another version of creating sustainability within mm -hmm. SpaceSmith. Mm-hmm. Are wonderful signs. So what about sustainability in general? So obviously, uh, you know, thinking about you've traveled the world, you did all these things, you saw a lot of other cultures, things like that. When we talk about sustainability in buildings and designs, what what is Spacemith doing there? Well, it's a, you know, any, any architecture for firm that right now isn't thinking very, very hard about sustainable green wellness practices, all sorts. I just went to a wonderful conference that was done at Grace Farms about uh, slavery in the construction industry. And the fact that we can talk all we want about sustainable products and, and green and uh, zero energy carbon. But then if we don't know where materials are coming from, and they're coming from slave labor in some of the developing countries in different places, probably even in our own backyards, then that's a real shame. So there are so many levels to think about sustainability. And my team, we are part of the AIA challenge for sustainability and have put together a, a great plan for us to follow and what we're going to try and do to and it's not all about lead points. That's that's important. But in every project is not going to have a lead sheet. But okay. but we look internally how every one of our products stack up against lead, against well, against all of the different ways of measuring. And I think that it does it does come from my time traveling. Uh, much of my travel was in developing countries and I learned so much from them. Their their way of being able to use materials and reuse materials and live on on relatively so little where we come from a place of uh, overabundance. Mm -hmm. And and you know, so I admire some of uh my colleagues in the firm and also our colleagues are into the engineers that we work with bring so much to the table. We're doing uh, working on two, as I mentioned, two port of entry stations on the Canadian border. And, and um, those are going to be uh, meeting lead gold standards, but across many different levels of uh, sustainability. And we're, we just have a, super team of engineers that are bring, bringing really the the mathematical and technical side to the equation. But but also we had a, a, a wonderful young woman who's just graduating from Columbia, who I am mentoring. She came and talked to our office about, she's from India and practices in terms of passive architecture where the design is 
passively sustainable and using wind and using sun and using materials and, and you know, in a way that, that it's not just about buying a bunch of solar panels or windmills, which are also, uh, you know, creating more materials for landfills eventually. Mm -hmm. so. That's, well, yeah. it sounds like you're doing a little bit of everything then. Yeah, yeah. Hey everybody, Justin here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. As you know, Will and I are business nerds and love talking to leaders who've scaled their businesses using people, process, and technology. If that's something to get you all jazzed up too, then do me a favor and hit the subscribe button. Don't forget to hit the little bell so you get notified every time we drop a sweet new episode. And if you know somebody who'd be an awesome guest on the show, send them our way. Just go to buildandscale.net slash guest. Now, back to the episode. Sustainability, you've done it in a few different ways, both from the physical implementation, architecture, right, uh, and the building design uh, and kind of the entire chain there. Sustainability of your own company as well. And looked at everything from people, process, et cetera. Have you used any consultants to help you? any of those aspects? Well, you know, so many different consultants. I, I completely <laughs> believe in consultants. And, and I, I have to start with the consultants that I just mentioned in terms of the building process. Yep. Architects do not alone design a building. They design buildings with mechanical, electrical, plumbing engineers and structural engineers and lighting designers and landscape designers and the list just acoustic designers and cost consultants and contractors. And so all of these, those are, those are really the first level of consultants that we use. And it's a, it's a great teaming and collaboration, but also in terms of the business, we use again, the obvious of accountants and lawyers, but even deeper than that, I have always used, particularly when I was, well, not particularly still, but as a firm owner, you need to get out of your own head. And it's not always sometimes with the people that you work with because, you know, they have a invested stake. And so I have always relied on external consultants to help me along, whether they've been with human relations or finance or strategy. Obviously we have a public relations consultant. We have, you know, and I consider all of these people uh, as part of our team, technology consultants. And so when I do an org chart for the organization, it's not just the 30 people, you know, there's at least at any given time, at least 10 other people who are core to our team that aren't on the payroll in terms of a weekly paycheck, but some of them are on a retainer payroll. And, you know, that's a, it's a significant portion of the expenses to maintain these consultants that give back so much. So I'm a big believer in consultants. Yes. And I'm also a big believer in not keeping a consultant forever if some consultants there's a there's a period that you need 
it's like um, it's for like personal therapy. You know, you might have gone through something that you need some extra help and then you don't anymore. But then later you need it for something else. So some some of it is a revolving door and some of it's consistent. Same person that's been with the firm and supporting the firm for many, many years. So did it ever feel like they they were expensive at first? And when did you transition from it looks and feels expensive to there's real value behind. They always look expensive. They never. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. I'm sure someone feels like that. (laughs) It's like architects. Architects feel very expensive, you know, (laughs) uh, but it is a, it's a, it's a value proposition. And, and so I look at what I feel that I'm going to be getting in return. And when I, feel that 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 worth then absolutely and and the different with difference with consultants frankly sometimes is you could hire in some cases you could hire a person on staff but then that person is it does not necessarily come with the experience that the consultant has it doesn't come with the flexibility it doesn't come with the intention of setting goals and meeting those goals and be, can become somewhat complacent in some cases, you know? So I think that you weigh it all um, against what, what the need is. So. Now we see that even with our clients where hiring an internal person in comparison to using the consultant outside consultant can it's a very different experience. It's not to say one's right or wrong. It's just depending on what you're looking for at that time, to your point, like can be different. It's like, oh, we need something that's more strategy, more robust. Oh, we we need somebody to fill the hole that is there that we know exactly what needs to be done. Those are just different problems, business problems that happen that depending on where your business is at and for many, many reasons and complexities why, hey, a consultant may be the right choice in comparison to here's the person that comes internal. Mm-hmm. Yep. When you talk about value proposition, just for clarification, you are talking about essentially one of probably three things, either helps you get more money or get more clients, depending on how you look at it, be more efficient or help you, I guess, retain clients. Would that be, would that be correct? Or is there, was there more to it? Yeah, there's all of those. There's sounding boards, you know, having, having a sounding board because you can, you know, get in a different point of view sometimes is is really worth it because you can you can kind of get get in your own rabbit hole and a senior leadership team can get in their own rabbit hole as well together and so <laughs> yep. to, you know, um, we've just we've just added a, a wonderful person as a principal in the firm and as head of business development marketing and public relations and she's you know, has a wonderful history in a different part of the the industry. She's vibrant, excited, enthusiastic. Having her come into the senior leadership team is bringing a whole new energy, and it feel it's very, very positive. And everybody's kind of stepping up and looking at things, you know, with a with a new excitement. And so I think that we always we have to continue to think of ways both by adding people in internally bringing people externally 
going on retreats, whatever, you know, as, as humans, we get really excited and then we kind of wear down and then we get <laughs> really excited and we wear down. So I think that, that it's a balance and, and all of these, there's, there's lots of reasons for consultants. And, you know, I have to, I do have to say like during the pandemic, my financial consultants and accounting consultants and boy, they were what I needed to just keep me thinking we'll make it through this, you know, and that was, that was what they did and they did it well and we're still here. So. Sounds like you've had some great consultants, mentors, even advocates, you know, one question I have is were all your consultants were, were any of your consultants that you had hired on deliberately hired on because they were not yes men? They've challenged status quo. I I would hope they all were. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> okay. You know, I I don't want somebody that would be money not well spent. If and and I feel the same as an architect. I you know I don't think you need an architect if you want somebody to just do exactly what you want them to do and you know not bring their own thought process to the to the table and and their own ideas then then there are different ways to get your project done so yeah i i i always look for someone who's going to challenge me and and make me think about something differently i might not always agree with them but then maybe there'll be a third thing that comes out of that that's the beauty of it, right? I mean, that mm -hmm. is it. It's. I just listened to Rick Rubin's uh, being. Uh, what's the name of the book? It, him, his his only book uh, about being creative and like how the mm -hmm. creative process happens. And it is like things just you gotta you know hit some things together and then maybe something else happens. Like it has not like it's not yeah. one one is right or wrong. It's just mm -hmm. these ideas percolate and then it produces a different idea. So yeah. where so you just you just got on this new uh, head of BD uh, or president of BD mm -hmm. or whatever the the title that they have. What is uh, what was the push to that? Why why go down that path uh, and why now? Well, I think that that you know w with our industry, uh, it's not it's not why now because we haven't needed it. I mean, it was one of the hats that I wore uh, more fully at one point. You know, I. And the rest of the principals and partners are doer sellers. Yep. And, you know, they're, they're they're doing the business, but they don't always necessarily have time to be out in in the marketplace. And I think that it's important for Space Myth to continue to be seen and to have someone who's soul, not soul. I mean, Anna's already doing a million things, but a very big part of her job is to continue to connect the dots. And to meet somebody once at a cocktail party and never follow up with them, well, that's not going to do a lot of good, is it? <laughs> no, it is uh, not. So I, I felt that we really needed, we have, and for public relations, we have uh, Kubani, Chris Kubani, who is our public relations consultant. Who and they've been uh, fabulous, by the way. I'd be an advocate for them. Good, so uh, good. That's yeah. what I... Yeah, so so public relations, we are using a consultant for business development. We needed a full-time employee at a senior senior level to so you know it's that's that right there is an example of, of the difference sometimes that 
it works in one place and, and not in another. So, um, and again, depends on the firm. But, uh, you know, I think that it, the old, uh, I forget what the book was, but there was a book about, uh, you know, starting a company and you create an org chart, right? And and at first you put, you put down all the roles you're going to want. And sometimes the same person has their name in about five boxes. And, you know, yep. eventually, eventually you get more people in those boxes. And I think that uh, that's something that we've continued to do. And sometimes we've had to, based on where the economy is going, we've had to squeeze the box back down again and then, you know, expand. And so it's uh, it's a it's a fun it's part of the fun process. Yeah. But it so, is process. It <laughs> yeah. is. Oh, yes. So yeah. that, especially having gone through multiple recessions, multiple, mm -hmm. I mean, global uh, events uh yeah. you've got a little experience so yeah process so let's talk about the third part the third pillar which is technology mm -hmm. were you ready for the pandemic we were more ready than we thought we were and it was incredible because on march 13th we were going to have a test day that everybody was going to go home just for the day and see how that worked well, we didn't go back to the office for about a year, right? And um, yeah, and I think the thing that actually in New York, I don't know what other places did, but we had gone through Storm Sandy, I think a couple of years prior to that. And at that point, we had to go home and, and nobody worked for, I can't remember, five, between five and 10 days because we didn't have the technology systems where people could get online. We did, we were able to get our email and that was just by chance because we just moved our email into kind of a more of a cloud situation. But um, by the time the pandemic happened, everyone was able to VPN into their computers at the, at the office and start working. And we had Zoom and we had, you know, we had Teams and we started using programs like Morphosis to to help with design and and you know all of these different programs and we were scurrying around finding new ones and figuring it out. But I, I think we did we did very well. We did very well. And and our team was everywhere from you know in their small apartment on a on a little laptop to some people were better set up, um, but it was because of the technology. And we would never have been able to, it would have, I can't even imagine what it would have been if, well, if we were still using drafting boards and pencils, I guess we would have taken home our drafting boards and pencils. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure but, yeah. just, just because I have a few friends that li uh, live there, I don't know if a drafting board would have uh, fit in some of those people's apartments. <laughs> right, just, right. just gonna put that out there. We got a full, full drafting board. Yeah, no, but it is. It's incredible how we were able to work as seamlessly as we were able to. Mm -hmm. So, obviously, there was a Sandy was the litmus test pre-pandemic, pandemic, you pa not only passed the test, you passed the test with flying colors because you went from test to production almost immediately, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then, but there was also a second part to 
the technology side, which was the cybersecurity, that became an issue for a lot of companies. Did you get or do you have did you have cyber liability insurance? Yeah, and, I do. Yeah. And when or why did you decide to essentially get cyber liability insurance to actually invest in? I think, you know, we were getting, again, consultants are great. Our consultants were starting to push us, uh, whether it was our um, professional liability insurance consultants, our HR consultants, our technology. We have a, a great tech in-house technology team that we share with the firm that we share space, Davis Brody Bond, and we just have Ray and Stan are terrific. They really, in fact, they sat me down last week and talked to me about the next level of backups and cyber threat. And and also because we do do embassy work, we have to be very careful as well, e- extra careful. Right. And so, yes, all of this is, is forefront. You know, we're, we're as concerned as other people about what the future is going to be in this area. So, I think that's wonderful to hear. We're huge advocates around technology and having AEC protect themselves with all the horrible things that are happening in the world. So mm-hmm. kudos to you. With regards to technology, you seem to have you seem to have sort of an active advancement in that area. Like in comparison to a lot of AEC companies that we talk to, you actually dedicate a lot towards it. Why is that part of your philosophy? It also goes back to when I was first starting my firm. I knew that I needed a strong accounting system and I did the research to figure out how I was going to do the bookkeeping and how, and I, you know, had my MBA. So I had accounting 101 under my belt. And so I, and I wanted to, there had been a hiccup, frankly, with at the beginning, one of my partners who was in charge of the financial side of our business was doing all of the accounting and bookkeeping on Excel spreadsheets. And it seemed like his spreadsheets were never up to date. And then when they were finally up to date, we didn't really like what we saw. And so I decided I I wanted to know to the penny where I was at every moment, whether it was bad or good. And so um, we invested in a, I can't even remember what it, was called at the time, but it was an accounting, it was an architecture-based accounting uh, software that I I sat, you know, weekends and nights and, and I set the whole thing up myself. And then about the same time, my partner, my partner that was still there and I, we got a, a job to, to put bankers trusts, high-rise buildings on, buildings on Park Avenue on CAD and we said, sure, we can do that. Well, neither one of us had ever done CAD. So, so CAD <laughs> was brand new. So, so I was learning CAD and I was setting up the accounting system. And, and then I realized that I'm so busy working that I needed some way to keep up track of all these contacts of people that I was meeting so that I could um, follow up with them. And I didn't want to have to think about it. And I didn't want to have to have little posted stamps. So then I found this database called ACT to manage my contacts. And so I had so I had my three-legged stool of of CAD, the, the accounting and the and the contact database. And that's from there I, I realized that yeah, we gotta just keep going with this. And we have. And 
All of them are were on to Salesforce and Azera, which was is part of Dell Tech and Revit and every type of 3D drawing program. And, you know, and now I don't know, just so many Google drives and I, I can't keep up with all of them now, but other people, <laughs> yeah. So. Well, thank you yeah, for sh it, sharing. Yeah. When you first said, you're like, yeah, I, I don't know the technology. And then you listed off like 30 different programs. The first time we talked, I'm like, yeah, you guys are good. You, you have done a lot when it comes to technology. I feel like uh, a lot of leaders undersell it because it's not, you know, obviously it's not your full expertise. Obviously, you mm -hmm. know enough about it. You've, you've built the company with those those three particular programs that evolve mm -hmm. into new ones. But um, yeah, it, it, you are definitely in a good spot. That's that's definitely what we Semaphore. hear. Semaphore was the first accounting program. <laughs> there it is. There Semaphore, it is. Act and AutoCAD. Yeah. yeah. That's that. <laughs> wow. All right. All right, so we've got one more question for you. We asked this question to everybody. Uh, we're really excited to hear what you have to say. So if, Jane, if you could go back 20 years, what would you tell yourself? I would tell myself that I should be thinking right now about what I want this firm to be in 20 years. <laughs> Love that. Um, it's very easy, and I always, 20 years ago, I did business plans and goal setting, and it was really easy for me always to do the one-year plan. And then I'd really push myself and do a two- or three-year plan. But by the five-year plan, uh, I'd just say, you know, whatever. And Some French I, word. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I realize now, and I'm really pushing the next group in my succession plan. And, in fact, we're having a meeting this Wednesday. And if they were listening, they better be ready that I'm asking them, what do they want this firm to be in 20 years? And because 20 years goes really fast. And if you don't start planning it right now, you will fall into being the kind of firm that everybody else wants you to be. Because you'll just respond to the jobs that you get and the things that you, you know, and you won't necessarily be pushing to be the type of firm that you want to be. So to be reactive, again, is not going to get you where you want to be. You've got to be proactive and you've got to do it in the long term because because this is a long term game. Very insightful. I'd say that was probably one of the best last questions we've we've had answered in a really long time. I love that. I love that. That's Super just cool. great advice for anyone that's listening. Mm -hmm. That's it. Like, that's the beauty. All right. Well, I had a ton of fun, Jane. I hope you had a ton of fun. I did. I think, yes. I think Will had a ton of fun. It was um, awesome. If, ton of fun. If our, if our listeners want to get a hold of you, what's the best way they can do that? Maybe uh, send, send an email to Liz and she'll pass it on. Sure. I'll drop uh, Liz's email into... Uh, the show yeah, notes, as long like with that. all your social media and all that kind of stuff, yeah. I'll just drop let, it in let there. Let me talk it over with her. <laughs> my consultant, my night. We will give you away because I would love to be in touch with people. Absolutely. So I will make sure that that is in the show notes. However, we uh, shake that out. Uh, no problem there. Is there anything else you'd like to tell the people before we uh, sign sign off? Just, you know, have fun with this. This is a beautiful, wonderful industry. We're doing really good things for people and just appreciate and don't give up, you know, particularly young people coming into the industry. Don't give up. It's a great way to, to spend a, a lifetime. 
So. Awesome. Well, th- we appreciate you for you and your time. Thank um, you, Jane. And thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, guys. All right. Bye. And to our listeners, adios. Adios. Thanks for listening to Building Scale. To help us reach even more people, please share this episode with a friend, a colleague, or on social media. Remember, the three pillars of scaling a business are people, process, and technology. And our mission is to help the AEC industry protect itself by making technology easy. So if you think your company's technology pillar could use some improvement, book a call with us to see how we can help maximize your IT and cybersecurity strategy. Just go to buildingscale.net slash help. And until next time, keep keep building building scale. scale.